Now is the time to take out the Living Faith Notes, the full page insert in your worship bulletin. As you're doing so, once again, I want to welcome those who may be listening online via podcast or watching on video online at living-faith.church. As I mentioned before, we are in chapter 2 of Ruth. This is a chapter-by-chapter study. I'm not going to read it at this point, but we will cover the entire chapter as we, as we go here. Now, I want to begin by stating the obvious, and that is that change is inevitable. And we're always in a flux of, of change in our world. Take generational change, for instance. The infants of the 90s are now the working adults of 2019. Two of our kids fall in that category, and they're working their tails off now as adults. The silent generation, the generation born between 1925 and 1945, also referred to by some as the greatest generation because of their sacrifice for the country during a time of war, World War II, they're becoming harder and harder to find because they're growing older and many of them are, are dying. The baby boomers are now the number one recipients of Medicare and the number one residents of nursing homes. Generation X, my generation, never thought that I would be at this point, but I'm 53, but you're looking like, you know, retirement's not that far away. And I find myself in, in middle age. So just generations alone, change is happening all the time. As we said last week, as we, be, we began our study of Ruth, that some change is sin-related. And I shared with you what theologians call the sin cycle. 3,600 years ago is when our text took place, the book of Ruth, during the time of the judges. And, and there, the, the nation of Israel would go through these sin cycles that many times would last up to a decade. So, so God blessing his people, the children of Israel, giving them land, a land flowing with milk and honey, blessing them and blessing them. They weren't perfect, but they were living by faith, and God was growing their faith week by week, day by day. But then they became too comfortable, and they began to forget about the Lord. And as they forgot about the Lord, they created idols in their heart, and they were, they were living for things that were not the Lord, putting other things above him, really guilty of idolatry. And some of them were worshiping false gods. This led to rebellion in their heart. In their heart, they were stiff-arming God and saying, I don't want you in my life. And, and God is extremely patient with us. But God's patience eventually runs out, especially if we are not putting him first. And, and God said, very well, you want to live apart from me, then you're going to see what that's like. And no longer blessings, God withdrew the blessings and he uses the word curse, that the nation of Israel was under a curse for a while. Um, what happened, God would say, okay, invading armies that I've been protecting you from, I will withdraw my protection if you don't want me in your life. Uh, the crops that are so plentiful because of the rain that I send, you don't want me a part of your life, I'll prevent it from raining. Whatever it is, he, there, there were disasters that happened. And then over the course of years, as a whole, the children of God, as a nation, would eventually repent. They would come to their senses. They would say, Lord, we have sinned as a nation. We repent of our sins. And then God would come to the rescue. 
If it was a drought, he would allow rain to fall. Uh, if, if they were lacking leadership, he provided a leader, the judges, and they would, lead, they would lead the people of Israel, and they would lead them back into blessing. Now, regardless of the change, whenever there's a change, people have to adjust to what I call the new normal. A lot of people don't like change. Most people don't like change, but you have to adjust to it. Adjust to the new normal. And I pointed out last week that in the book of Ruth, it's during one of these sin cycles that would last a decade. And we were introduced again to the, to the main characters. Israel had fallen away from the Lord. God, uh, drought came to the land. Bethlehem, which means house of bread, it's the breadbasket to this day of Israel, very productive area when it comes to wheat and barley, stopped producing. They were under the curse of God. That was the disaster that they were living under, drought, for 10 years. And we read the book of Ruth, and we see how one Jewish family, the man's name was Elimelech, which means God is our king. What a great name, but he didn't live up to his name. And his wife, Naomi, Naomi means pleasant one. And for whatever reason, I picture her as a pleasant uh, uh, woman. That was her name and, and, and a good wife. And their two sons, Sicko boy, Malon, literally, and Kilion, which means weakling. And you remember that they left Bethlehem. Bethlehem, I think, is about 1,500 feet, very fertile. But a time of drought, and they go down to the lowest part on the planet, the, the Dead Sea area, below sea level. They then would go on the other side. It's about 40 miles in length uh, from, from Bethlehem to Moab. They would have to ascend to 3,500-foot elevation. And the plain of Moab, for the most part, is greener. Uh, it gets more rain during the year. And for them, the plain of Moab, the grass was greener there. Elimelech, though, was not following the Lord. He left his inheritance. That's not something that, that God wanted the people of Israel to do. He left his inheritance. Again, he took his, his family, and I'm picturing his boys as maybe preteen, teenage at, at the most, and his wife. Elimelech goes to Moab to make a better living, but he ends up dying there. The grass isn't always greener, is it? A person once told me, if the grass looks greener on the other side, um, it's actually AstroTurf. It's fake. It's not real. And that's really what happened to Elimelech and his family. Life was not better for them. And now it, it changes to a story about a widow named Naomi trying to raise her teenage sons in a foreign land. Life became very difficult for her, more difficult for her. Malon and Kilian, they grow up in a sense, and they both get married to Moabite women, one named Ruth, the other one Orpah. But then the boys die as young men. So the story changes. It's now a story about three widows, one of them middle-aged, Naomi, and two young widows, probably in their 20s, Ruth and Orpah. And as I said last week, uh, it's not recorded in scripture, but Orpah she stayed in Moab, eventually went to Los Angeles and started a very successful television program. <laughs> but Ruth decides to not stay in Moab. And, and Ruth made that very strong commitment to her mother-in-law and to the Lord. Where you go, I will go. 
Your people will be my people. Your God is my God. And I will be with you till death us part. Very strong commitment of this Moabite named Ruth. And so we left off in chapter 1 that they leave the high plains of Moab, descend 3,500 feet. They go through the Dead Sea area. They come back up to Bethlehem. And it's a small town, and, and the, the town is astir, and the, the women especially. And from a distance, they see two women who are widows, one middle-aged, the other one very young. And they start recognizing her. Could this be Naomi, pleasant one? And as Naomi entered the town, she said, stop calling me Naomi. My name is no longer Naomi. My name is Mara. And what does Mara mean? Bitter one. And then she blames God. So was Naomi adjusting well to her new normal, being a widow and her sons no longer being alive? She wasn't adjusting well at all, right? She became a very bitter woman, and not only that, but, but she, was, she was disrespecting God. Now, in chapter 2, we're going to see that by the grace of God, Naomi's heart is softened, and God turns things around for Naomi. And I'm calling this sermon series uh, today, chapter 2, Discover God's Grace in Your New Normal. Discover God's Grace in Your New Normal. And I want you to ask yourself the question, what is your new normal? And we're going to talk about that more towards the end of, of, of this chapter. What is your new normal? What are some things new to you that you are adjusting to right now? So let's, let's start chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So we're introduced to this person named Boaz. He's a relative. He's, he's directly related to Naomi's husband who had died, part of the clan. Uh, Boaz, the Boaz literally means strength, rock, pillar. And, and he, was a, he was a man of, of standing, and more than likely a man of, of uh, great virtue. He was well-respected, and he had great wealth. He was a man of standing. By the way, the name Boaz, strength, pillar, and we, we know that King Solomon, who would be like the great-great-grandson of Naomi, when he built the temple, the original temple, he named one of the bronze pillars that was just gigantic. There were two of them. He named one of them Boaz out of his great-great-great-grandfather. But again, Boaz is a man of standing. It tells us that even though it was a period, a 10-year period of drought, for those who stayed and they kept their inheritance and, and they underwent the discipline of the Lord, upon the land, it didn't decimate them. Boaz continued to be blessed by God. He remained a man of standing, and he had great wealth. Now, we can always ask, what if? It's easy to ask, what if? But it makes me wonder, what if? What if Elimelech had not left his inheritance? What if he would have stayed put in the land of Israel and not ventured off to Moab? Perhaps he wouldn't have died? Now, again, we're, we're speculating. But it makes us wonder, what if? Verse 2. As Ruth the Moabite, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, 
Let me go out to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Keep in mind that God had brought blessing once again. All right, the sin cycle over, the people had repented, the nation as a whole. God was once again blessing them. And this is a bumper crop, and everyone knew it. And that's why Naomi left Moab and, and, and came back home. So Ruth is a young widow. She's a foreigner in a foreign country, and she has to make a living. So she uses what's before her. It's harvest time and the provision for the widow and for the less fortunate and, and so that's what she was relying on. She had strength. She had vigor. She humbled herself. She rolled up her sleeves and decides to go out and glean the fields. Now, now this is how it worked. We, are, we already read it before, the law of the harvesters. If you were a landowner and you had workers and you had uh, a person that, who would organize the work, uh, your foreman, they took it very seriously. And they, they picked the right people, and they would go into the field, and it was usually the men, and, and the men would go through first, and, 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 and they would knock down the wheat and barley. Women would follow, and they would bundle it in the sheaves. Later that day, they would go back and pick up the sheaves and take, it, take them to the threshing floor, and they had these objects like heavy brooms, and they, they, would, they would beat the, the grain off the, the stalk, and then they would take winnowing forks and throw it up into the air, and the wind would carry the chaff away, and they would separate the chaff from the grain. But it was a, people involved, workers, and you have men and women, and they were only to go through it once, right? The law of the harvesters. Overabundance. God has given you overabundance so that you don't use it all on yourself. You, you take the harvest, but you don't take everything. You go through the field once, not twice, so that you can provide for the less fortunate, for the widow and the fatherless. For lack of a better word, it was welfare. But please note how God set it up in the Old Testament. Welfare was providing for the less fortunate. He told the landowners, uh, he didn't tell them give a portion to the poor, but rather leave a portion for the poor. And he allowed the less fortunate to be able to, to work. And they were able to get grain for free. And in a sense, they, he, he gave them a sense of accomplishment. And it worked well. By the way, Jesus in his ministry, when he's with his disciples, part of the law of the harvester was the, the grain that's growing closest to the roads, that hangs over on the roads, do not harvest that. Leave those for the foreigner and for the traveler. So Jesus took advantage of that, the, the Son of God, the creator of the world, with his disciples walking on paths on the Sabbath, they would grab some grain for breakfast. Remember that? And that's, that's exactly um, following the law of the harvesters. Verses 4 through 7. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem 
and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. And I love this about Boaz. He's a man of standing, a man of value, a man of wealth. Uh, he's a good boss. And he comes to the workers and he, he gives them God's blessings. The Lord be with you, the creator God, the, the God of salvation, the God of our land and our people. He, may God bless you. And the workers respond and God bless you too. And again, you see his character. He was a man of standing. He had strong faith in the Lord and he was an employer, not afraid to live his faith. Verse five, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. So she came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So again, Ruth, she had youth, she had strength, she didn't mind rolling up her sleeves, she didn't mind, um, again, gleaning behind the harvesters. There's a little bit here, I've studied this in depth, and it would appear Ruth had never done this before. She's learning as she goes, there is a learning curve. We're gonna see that Boaz then tells her, I want you to stick with the women. Apparently Ruth was too close to the men, and that was problematic. But she was a hard worker, and the, the manager said, She's worked all day except for taking a very short break. Verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? So again, this is going to turn into a love story. We're gonna see that next week. And, and you see, I don't wanna spoil it, but Boaz is very Christ-like. And he's providing protection, he's providing providence, care, um, and he's, he, he is, he doesn't know it now, um, he is her kinsman redeemer, and I'll explain that thoroughly um, next week. Continuing on, verse 11. Boaz replied, I have told all about you, what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And these are just beautiful words. God is described many times in scripture as a protect, we're under the protection of his wings, that he's watching over us, he's providing for us, and he's saying, uh, I commend you, you took care of, of your mother-in-law and you're with her, and may God bless you with his protection and his love and his care. It almost comes across like a prayer, and quite often when you pray for something, you know something not right, and you say, Lord, please resolve this and, and provide help for this person, many times God uses us, the very one praying, to be that person, and, and that, definitely that's the case with Boaz. 
Verse 13. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. Boaz, again, good employer. These people are working hard. He took some of the grain, he roasted it. There, there's a meal prepared. It sounds delicious to me, uh, taking grain and dipping it in, in vinegar and, and just a, a way to uh, relax uh, all the workers together and as well um, the boss man, and she is a part of it. Verse 15, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave, gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them to for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted up to about an ephah. So a long day, when the day is over, they would go to the threshing floor. She did that as well. And with everything she had gathered, it was an ephah, which is about 30 pounds. That's a lot of grain. Verse 18, she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over as she had, had eaten enough. So that roasted grain, she had plenty of that left over as well. 30 pounds of flour would last a couple months. It's a lot of, it's a lot of grain. Verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And it's here we see a change in the heart of Naomi. Don't call me Naomi, Mara, bitter one. She's no longer sounding bitter. And she's realizing God is taking care of her and through Boaz. And Boaz is respecting the living, Ruth and Naomi, but also the dead. He's providing as God had promised. And, and you see, you see Naomi's heart soften here. And she mentions this guardian redeemer. The Hebrew word is goel, and it means kinsman redeemer. And we're going to thoroughly talk about that next week in chapter 3. Verse 21, then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women and work for him, because in somebody else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. By the way, it is recorded in Scripture. Remember the, the sin cycle? Um, there were times in Israel, harvest was not necessarily the best time. You, you, you see 
people um, indulging in things, and there was even prostitution at one time coming out to the, the grain fields and, and that. And um, Boaz was not that type. He was not that type of, of boss. And he made it very sure that she would be safe um, working in his field. So we've called, again, chapter 2, Discovering Your New Normal. And I want to apply that. We want to learn from the three characters, Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi, the new normal. And we're also going to look at signature temptations in the new normal and then grace in the new normal. First of all, Boaz, what was the, the new normal for Boaz? He was a man of standing. God blessed him even during the 10 years of drought. What was his new normal? And the answer was a bumper crop. A bumper crop. Ask any farmer, you get a bumper crop, that's incredible. That's what you want. But what comes along with a bumper crop? A lot of work. Boaz's new normal probably was a 100-hour week. Boaz's new normal was, I need to pick the right workers, the right men, the right women. Boaz's new normal was logistics. I need to provide enough fresh water for these workers. I need to make sure they have a safe place to, to, to sleep. His new normal was tremendous amounts of, of, of work. Jesus said this in, in Luke 12, verse 48, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Had God given Boaz a lot? He had. Was God asking a lot of Boaz? He was. Boaz's new normal was a lot of work, and it's time-sensitive. You don't want to harvest too soon. You're going to have poor quality grain. You don't want to wait too long because you can lose the harvest. So he was under a lot of pressure. Again, that was his new normal. There are temptations with new normals. What would Boaz's temptation be? We're speculating here. Maybe greed. It would have been 10 years from having a bumper crop. Maybe the temptation was, don't follow the harvester rule. Why don't you tell your workers to glean through it three or four times? Take everything, because that's a lot of money. Perhaps. Maybe the temptation was uptightness. I'm working 100 hours this week. I don't have time for my family. Maybe it was lack of attention. Maybe it was no time for small talk. But there are temptations whenever there is a new normal, even for Boaz. Let's talk about Ruth. Ruth's new normal was living as a young widow, which would be difficult as it is, a young widow in a foreign country. That would take an awful lot to adjust to. That was a difficult new normal for her. There's a, there's a, there's a German expression, Anfang est schwer. Anfang est schwer. Anfang means beginnings, new beginnings. Est is is, schwer, difficult. New beginnings are difficult. That was her new normal. She didn't know the rules. It was a learning curve for her. What were her possible temptations? I could see Satan tempting her, give up, go back to Moab. This is too difficult. Who do you think you are? Um, temptation, become a victim, whatever it might be. Lose courage. Let's talk about Naomi. It doesn't take too long to figure out uh, Naomi's new normal. A middle-aged widow. Embarrassment. Uh, she said, I came back empty. 
She was bitter. Call me Mara. Her signature temptations would be bitterness, despair, midlife crisis. Blame God, right? It's all laid out for us. She was falling for those temptations. Now, there's grace, though. There's grace in the new normal for all three of them. Uh, let's talk about Naomi. Where is God's grace for Naomi? And the answer is God's promises to her. I will provide even for the family of the dead, the, the, the kinsman redeemer. That's God coming through. That's grace. She didn't deserve that. What, what Naomi deserved is, is God saying, okay, you're angry with me. Very well, be angry with me. But that's not the heart of God. He extends grace to a woman who was blaming him for her problems, even though God wasn't the cause. And, and we see in Naomi, God works all things out for the good of those who love him. God loved her dearly. Yes, she was bitter. God got her through it. God reconnected her to who would eventually be a descendant of hers, King Jesus. That's the grace extended to Naomi. What about Ruth? We see God's grace to Ruth. What was it? God blessing her work, right? Um, 30 pounds of grain in one day. God just pouring blessing and blessing upon, upon Ruth, answering Boaz, Boaz's request. And it's grace. She didn't deserve it, but God gave her above and beyond um, this, this, this young widow. And he's about to give her a new husband, as we're going to see next week. What about Boaz? What is the grace given to Boaz? You might say, well, God already blessed him abundantly. He's a man of standing. Now he has a bumper crop. But I think the grace of Boaz was a little bit different. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 to the Corinthian congregation, a very gifted congregation, but divided. And he told the Corinthians, you excel at everything in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in love you have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. They were stingy in giving back to the Lord. And these are talking about offerings. And, and Paul said, excel in the grace of giving. That's the grace for Boaz. God had given him above and beyond. God had blessed him from those who given much, much is demanded. But Boaz has a heart of God. Boaz is, is demonstrating kindness. He's, he's demonstrating generosity to his workers. He's expressing generosity to God. The ability to give like that, that too comes from God. And that is a gift of God. Go back to your new normal. We're about finished here. What is your new normal? Again, I'm just guessing. I'll lay out some general new normals. Maybe your new normal is a job change. You're at, you're at, uh, your, your job description has changed, or perhaps your place of employment has changed. Maybe your health circumstances have changed. Maybe you were struggling with something, a health problem, but now you're feeling great. Or maybe just the opposite. Maybe you are aware of something, you're going through, a, a, you have a sickness or a disease. That's your new normal. Maybe your new normal is the same as Naomi and Ruth. Some of you are, are widowers. Some of you are widows. And that has become your new normal. Maybe your new normal is you leave the place you've lived for 18 years. And you come to a, a new place called Melothian, Texas. That's a new normal for us. 
Whatever your normal is, now ask yourself, how is Satan trying to use this against me? What are the temptations that I have? Have I become a bitter person? Have, has God blessed me and now I'm becoming greedy? Um, whatever it is, know that Satan will try to take advantage of anything. And finally, find grace. Discover grace in your new normal. It's there. God's grace is there for us each and every day. Um, God is helping you. If you have a, a, a dilemma, you have stress because of whatever it might be, he's not going to leave you or forsake you. He is giving you the strength you need to handle that problem right now. Uh, he, he promises to, in all things good, just like Naomi, he'll help you overcome the bitterness. Or again, if God has blessed you, he'll, he'll give you opportunities to express grace wherever it might be. My friends, God's grace is sufficient for us, no matter what the new normal is. The biggest form of God's grace is sending his son Jesus into this fallen world. God's grace is sufficient for me. What God has already done, sending his one and only son to live a perfect life in my place, yet take that life and, and sacrifice it on a cross, become sin for me so that I might live forever and be forgiven by God forever, what he's already done is sufficient to sustain me no matter what my new normal is. So my encouragement to you, find the grace in your new normal and thank and praise Jesus Christ for it. Amen.